anxiety and stress give me problems. I think stress can sometimes be harmful to your health. Kind of like worry can be harmful to your health. Anxiety, it's like a voice inside of me that keeps shouting out that everything's going wrong. I like to do dance outside of school. The kind of dance I do is lyrical. There's a recital coming up in June, and I find some weird made-up reason to get scared about it. Well, my thoughts are telling me that my anxiety will get the better of me, and that will ruin my performance. I'm getting nervous that I will mess up, and that I'll be the only one, and I'll trip and fall or something. The notion of getting uh, one tiny move wrong, and it advances and gets bigger, and it turns into something that you totally want to avoid or think is wrong and bad. Well, you're listening to Dear Anxiety. This is the show about mental health and the way that we deal with our thoughts and feelings. It's about wellness. It's about emotional fitness. We know what physical fitness is, but we we have no idea what emotional fitness is. I'm not sure I do. And uh, my name is Ed Krasnick, uh, and joining me shortly is Rini Jane. And we're going to talk today about anxiety, uh, about stress, about particularly the mindset. You just heard a child's view of stress and anxiety and the mindset that goes with it, how we think about anxiety, how we think about stress and how that affects our lives. And we're also going to talk about the opposite of an anxiety mindset. We're going to talk about a growth mindset, totally different way to approach life, change your life. My co-host, my partner, is the founder of GoZen. And GoZen is an amazing company that teaches kids uh, resilient skills, teaches kids, parents, schools all over the world, resilient skills through creative means, through animation and other creative media. And Rini, I just want to welcome you. You know, it is National Take Your Anxiety to Lunch Week. Um, and it's also <laughs> burning, it's Burning Man uh, Anxiety uh, Week. And it's South by Southwest Anxiety. Um, so We've it's made all, the conferences. We're on the conference tour. Yeah, yes. all the festivals are causing a lot of anxiety and stress. And uh, we need to talk about that. But let me just start with, you know, an anxiety mindset. I don't think people think that it's an actual... It's an actual mindset. It's a way of dealing with, with life, isn't it? I mean, I am going to be the first one to say that it sounds really woo-woo when you're saying that you can basically change the way you think about something and that will change the way things happen in your life. It just sounds a little bit too easy to be true. Not enough suffering involved in that, Ed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, not like, nearly uh, enough. Yeah, no pain, no gain. Right. That, is that what this show is going to be about? You just have to change your outlook? Ugh. That is something, and I'm saying that in the teenage version of myself, would have just rolled my eyes at you and said, give me a break. You don't know what I'm going through. And just thinking about it differently is not going to change things. But, you know, time has gone by, much time has gone by, and I have done a lot of research. And forget the research, I've tried this stuff on myself and my family and my kids. I'm making my kids sound like guinea pigs. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, poor kids. 
Um, I have tried this stuff on myself and of course, professionally at GoZen when working with many, many, many kids. And so we are going to talk about mindset from the point of view of the research of what's out there and what you can actually do to reframe the way that you're thinking about stress and anxiety in your life and what effects does that really have and can it really have? I'm excited to talk about this because it's cool. Yeah. And as I always, I always bring the, uh, uh, you know, I'm the poster boy for whatever we're talking about. I'm experiencing it and doing the wrong thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm that is perfect. the before, the before yeah. and the before and after pictures. Yes. Always, always the before and uh, <laughs> Mr. Before they used to call me. Um, in school. But uh, but at, at any rate, the, the funniest thing to me, because you were mentioning uh, Dr. Kelly McGonigal and her work in, in dealing with stress and in a different way to look at stress, that stress is about what we believe it to be. And the funniest thing to me, and it's not funny, it's an actual real statistic uh, real uh, based on research, which is that one of the leading causes of Death is the way that people think about stress. It's actually what they believe about stress contributes to failing health. Oh, my goodness. So in Kelly McGonigal's book, The Upside of Stress, she leads, I think it's in the first or second chapter, with this study that's so amazing, to your point, right? Which I I think this is the most amazing study. So they asked close to 30,000 Americans, how much stress did you have in the last year? Did you have a little bit of stress, a moderate amount, or a lot of stress, A, B, or C? And so if you're listening right now, you can answer that question for yourself. How much stress did you have in the last year? And then they asked the same group of people, do you believe that stress is A, depleting to your life? You know, it's bad for you. It kills your productivity, your motivation, affects your health. Do you think it's bad for you, essentially? Or do you believe it can be enhancing? It can motivate you. It can help you be more productive. It can somehow benefit you. Well, the results of this study were astounding because they went, they waited about eight years or so, and then they went through mortality records, basically death records, to see these 30,000 people and what happened to them. And it turns out, to your point, Ed, that those who had a lot of stress you know, answered, yes, I had a ton of stress. Well, they had a 43% higher chance of death. But, and this is the kicker, which just astounds me, that was only true if they believed stress was depleting and was hurting them. So what that means is the way you think about stress, your belief system about it, affects the way it physiologically reacts in your body. Can you believe that? That is crazy and amazing and not surprising when you think about the power of, you know, belief. People talk about it in terms of, you know, religion uh, and, you know, spirituality. That's fine with belief. It's like, oh, you have to have faith. You have to believe. You know, this this was this is a common thing. Everybody knows that, that that your belief, you know, can change a lot of things about you. But can it change? Can it change the quality of your life? Can it change your thoughts and feelings? And the thing is, of course, it can, or it can affect it negatively, which is you know how I think most people live. But that is amazing. The, the stress, 
that what what you believe about stress is one of the leading causes of death. Yes, what you think about it is just unbelievable. And the thing is, is it's not you're not thinking counterfactually, right? You're actually thinking about something and looking at it in a way that is accurate as far as we know in terms of the science of well-being to this point. So in other words, it's not like you're just thinking magically. Right? Oh, this stress is good for me. It can help me. While we have heard for years and years that stress can kill you and that it's the number one leading cause of death, what we don't hear about are the mountains of research that show you that stress can be enhancing in your life, that it can be something that you can use to your advantage. And when I'm working with kids, I often talk about, you know, we've all heard those stories about people who have hysterical strength. The lady who sees her child who's underneath the car fixing the car and then the car falls down on top of him and she's able to lift the car up. What is that, right? That hysterical strength that you get is stress. So stress can be advantageous in a lot of ways. It was not designed to kill us, right? It was designed to use in short spurts. And the way that we think about it is really important. The understanding of the the purpose of stress is super important. Just like if you listen to any of the other shows, it's, it's sort of, you know, there's a recurring theme. And, and that is what you think, how you relate you know how you relate how i relate to my thoughts and feelings what i believe about my thoughts and feelings what i believe about what's going on in my mind actually changes the quality of what i'm experiencing even in my body even physiologically not only in my brain but viscerally it affects how i function so they you know they've done these kind of tests so the one that we were talking about that study that we were talking about was in a pretty broad population right but they've done these kind of tests for those of you who are listening who have kids who have any kind of performance anxiety or test anxiety I find the studies in this area fascinating so there is a professor of psychology at the University of Rochester named Jeremy Jameson and he did this um this experiment with college students who were going to take the graduate record examination, otherwise known as the GRE. It's the entrance exam for like PhD programs and graduate school programs. Mm -hmm. And so he invited kids, students to take a practice test. And before the test, he collected saliva samples from kids to get a baseline measure of their stress, right? And he told all the students that the goal of the study was to see how the physiological stress response affects their performance on the test. So he gave half of his students a pep talk about rethinking their stress before the test. Because this is a big test, right? Before you take one of these life-altering tests, you have stress. Most people have stress. So these students were stressed out. And he said to one half of them, listen, the recent research shows us that stress doesn't hurt performance. It can actually help your performance. So he was giving them the mindset that the stress you're feeling right now can actually help you. And then he told the other group that if you're stressed out, then just focus. So he didn't tell them anything about the stress that they were feeling, right? Because a lot of times when kids feel stress and, and, and adults before they perform, before you give a speech or take a test, you'll try to calm yourself down. Right? So his theory was if we teach them about this stress mindset, it'll help them. Well, what happened was the kids who were given that pep talk they way outperformed their peers and way outperformed the control group. So there's usually a control group where they just do nothing with that group. Um, but they way out. So those who were told stress can help you during this test way outperformed in the practice test 
And then three months later on the real test, and they were given no other interventions. That's amazing to me. Just a pep talk. Yeah, that is, that is amazing. It, it, it's, it's so powerful. And it's something that's available. It's available in my own brain. It's available to how I talk to myself. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to learn, how to, how to talk to yourself, how to talk to your kids, how to help your kids with stress, with, with anxiety, with a different mindset, a different way of looking at things, a different way of processing things. Now, where did we learn that stress was so bad for you? And that it could kill you <laughs> and to stay away from it and to control it and to manage it and to and where do we learn about this? It, 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 and, and we did learn. We learned from an industry that is one of the most the wealthiest industries in the world, and that is the stress management industry. They told us through commercials, they told us through uh, medical, uh, through doctors, through corporations that this was to be eliminated for years. And we started to believe it. And we believed it to the point where it was killing us. Yes. I mean, the cultural messaging is literally everywhere. Stress is bad for you. And if you have it, you're hurting yourself and you should get rid of it. And there is a, a particular type of stress that if you feel chronically, if you're chronically activating your flight or fight response, and it, you know, that it is not good for you. But there are lots of types of stress and stress responses that you can have that you can actually use to your advantage and that are not designed to kill you. So yeah, the messaging has been everywhere. And just like we talk about in a lot of our podcast episodes, that you basically shouldn't feel part of your humanity. If you're not feeling happy, joyful, grateful, positive, cheerful, then all the rest of the emotions are useless and sometimes shameful, and you sh including shame. And you should get rid of them. But what we're trying to tell you is that's just not aligned with the science. It's just not aligned with what we know about well-being. And so all we're trying to do here is not, you know, put any particular industry down, but to say, let's be more educated about what the real story is about these emotions. Just think about the way that you, when you wake up in the morning, the way that you look at the world and the way that you look at things that are going on in your life. It's a test. It's something you have to do at work. You have a meeting. You're going to, there's something going on with your kid. You, you, you have to be somewhere at a certain time. It's, it's constant. And, and how are you going, how, how do you look at those things? How do you deal with those things? Is there a different way for me to think about it? Is there a different way, like Kelly McGonigal says, what is the upside of stress? What is the upside? But maybe first we should just say, when you talk about an anxiety mindset, what is an anxiety mindset? I think it's the way your belief system about anxiety. So I think there should be you know, a couple of things that we look at when we're talking about mindset. Some people feel that they have come into this world with a particular disposition when it comes to anxiety. And that that disposition is fixed. So let's say that you are a person that comes from a family that you've determined that, listen, anxiety is in my family. This is just something that that is. And that may be because there is definitely a familial and a genetic aspect to it. However, what we know is, is that no matter what your particular disposition is, there are tools that you can use to change what you are experiencing when it comes to anxiety and your relationship to it, really, which changes all of your experiences. So we want to make sure that you don't have a fixed mindset 
about anxiety. So they talk about a fixed mindset, Carol Dweck's work. They talk about it in terms of intelligence and talent, where kids who have a fixed mindset basically believe that they were, listen, these are the cards I was dealt. I'm never getting any smarter, no matter how much effort I make. And I'm not going to you know, change my talent levels. Like Those are all fixed traits. And there's a lot of consequences to having a fixed mindset when it comes to intelligence. You become risk averse. You don't try as hard. You don't want to show up as who you are. You know, you procrastinate. So there are things that go along with it that are not great. And so they try to teach kids to have a growth mindset. And a growth mindset is where you know that your effort and the practice and the work that you put in actually has an effect and an influence on your level of intelligence. And they teach kids, listen, the brain, while it's an organ, it acts like a muscle and it grows stronger, right, when you try these things. And so you can change your level of intelligence, your talent and all of these things with effort, right? So effort can count twice, sometimes Angela Duckworth says. Well, what we're talking about here is having that same type of growth mindset when it comes to anxiety. Do not have a fixed mindset about it. You are not just stuck with the cards that you were dealt in terms of your particular disposition when it comes to anxiety. And one of the the most simple, and sometimes when we think something simple, we don't think it's powerful, but one of the most simple and powerful things that you can do is what we're talking about during the show, which is to change your mindset about stress. Okay, so when you're talking about stress and you're talking about anxiety, are they the same thing? You know, we use these terms interchangeably, stress, anxiety, we even use fear interchangeably, and there are a lot of nuanced words, terror, fright, panic. I think that our vocabulary is limited when it comes to emotions, and hence these things get used interchangeably. I mean, I think if we wanted to be technical about it, right, stress and fear are in the moment, and there is something objective that you are fearing. So the house is on fire, and you are objectively seeing this danger and your body activates the stress response and or the fear response. Anxiety is that activation, but there is no objective danger. So you're thinking about something in the future, either something specific like a test or a speech or meeting someone, right? Social anxiety, and you still have that stress response. That's anxiety. Or you're just thinking about something that's uncertain about the future. And so you're having that activation, right? That un- uncertainty is causing you to have the stress response, even though there's nothing happening in the now. So stress is more in the now. Anxiety is more about what you are thinking about in the future. But again, the terms are used interchangeably. Okay. So when we say, and you, you know, I learned this term for you, how to stress better. It sounds strange, right? It sounds like, what do you mean stress better? But there is a way to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So number one, the goal is not to get rid of stress. As you've probably heard, if you've heard more than one of these episodes, we will tell you over and over again, we're not trying to get rid of part of who we are. We need it, right? Stress can be very useful. It's so you don't step into a street when a bus is coming. You have that knee-jerk reaction. Sometimes it gives you hysterical strength. It can also be extremely motivating. So if you ask any star athlete, if you ask a surgeon, if you ask anyone who's in a performance situation, they will tell you how they use stress to their advantage. So stressing better is the ability not to just get rid of your stress. It's the ability to use your stress to your advantage and know that that can be done. So what you know, what you say to yourself, what I say to myself, you know, there is another there are so many recurring themes. And another one of them is being a friend 
to yourself, which sounds trite, but being a friend to the way that your mind works, the way that your body works, actually approaching it in a friendly in a friendly manner as opposed to as an enemy or an adversary, this is what creates a lot of stress. What happens is I feel like the thoughts that we have inside our mind and the feelings we have, our own system is thinking of it as something foreign and something that needs to be attacked. And so we start attacking ourselves. We, we literally start beating ourselves up for having these kind of thoughts and feelings. Yeah, it has, and it has an impact doing that. That's not just your nature. It's not, it's not our nature to do this. It's a practice. And it's a practice that we do with a lot of messaging and, and also by default. It, it's, it's a default uh, position. It's a, it's a fight uh, response to, you know, the thoughts and feelings because, you know, of all, all kinds of things, you know, fear, et cetera, and just not knowing another way or being able to practice another way. So that's what we're going to do today. That's what we do on, on the show. So if we're dealing with stress, if we're dealing with, you know, feeling stress, feeling anxiety, what are some of the things that we can do to actually uh, change the messaging, change our relationship to it, and 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 the, and things that we can do that, uh, you know, like you mentioned before, that are simple. Well, the super interesting thing about the stress response, right, or anxiety, and physiologically they're very similar, is that you can jump from stress and anxiety to excitement quite quickly because they're very similar physiological responses inside your body. So one of the most simple things that you can do. And this was studied by Alison Woodbrooks out of Harvard Business School. She studied it in many different domains, is that when you're, let's say, going up to give a speech, and a lot of people have performance anxiety before they have to speak publicly, you can say to yourself, if you start to have butterflies in your stomach, or your heart starts to race, or you start, your palms start sweating, you can start to say to yourself these three words, I am excited. I can give you a lot more words than that, but these particular words are pretty easy to remember. I am excited. And if you can remember a little bit more, then you can even transform some of those other experiences that you're having. I have butterflies in my stomach. It's because I'm about to give a speech and I am excited. My heart's racing. You know, I'm not in danger. I'm safe. I'm comfortable. I'm excited. The feeling that I have, the sweating that I'm having can actually help me perform better. So this is one, remembering that the stress response that you're having in the moment can actually help you perform better because that's what the science shows. And also verbally reframing it and so that you start to feel that excitement response. So you say, I'm excited. I'm excited and the stress can help me. Well, well, that's a very, that's a very simple thing and a, and a really, uh, you know, a powerful message that, that, that turns it around. And I also heard that there's an, there's an oxytocin thing that goes on, which they call the cuddle hormone, which actually makes you more social and wanting to connect with people. How does that factor into stress? You know, sometimes when we're talking about stress or many times, if you read a psychology book or you read a psychology article, they will talk about the fight or flight response. That's pretty typical, right? So you may have heard of the fight or flight response, but what they don't talk about and what you're referring to is there are other types of stress responses. So one is the tend and befriend response. 
So if you're the type of person or if you have a child or a teen that's the type of person that gets stressed out and they hop on the phone immediately reaching out to their bestie or someone they trust and they want to talk about it, well, that is us being driven to connect socially to support us, right? It's a buffer to the stress. So there's the tend and befriend response. And there's also the, the performance or the challenge response. So what we were talking about earlier. So the response where you can actually take what's going on in your body and help it enhance your performance. So there are just different types of stress responses. And I think just educating ourselves and knowing about these different type of stress responses can change the way that we relate to this experience in our life. So you mentioned tend to befriend, you mentioned challenge, and you mentioned the mantra, and it almost is, it is a mantra, which I think we need these things for, for, for all kinds of thoughts and feelings. I am excited. I am preparing. My body is preparing me for something. Totally, because you've, I mean, you've been an actor and a comedian for so long, Ed, when you, you know, and I don't know if you get nervous anymore, if you get stage fright anymore, but what did you used to do to channel your energy before you performed? Um, I I got so nervous and so anxious and, and have over the years, you know, one thing that I started to do was just, was just acknowledge it. Um, because the first thing is you, the response is to, is to flee, which is basically to say, I'm not, I I shouldn't be having this. Let's just pretend I don't have it. And of course, when you do that and you're a comedian and you go out in front of the audience, the audience knows what you're feeling because they sense it. And that's what they respond to. They don't respond to what you're saying. They don't respond to your material. They respond to what you're transmitting through your body. And you can actually see an audience if they're comfortable with you, if they know that you're being real and you're comfortable with yourself, they lean back in their chairs. But if they're not comfortable, they're actually sitting forward. And oh, so, really? That's so yeah, interesting. You can actually see them. You can see them shift in their chairs. Um, so I, so at any rate, one is just acknowledging, just saying, hey, f- you know, I feel this fear. I see it. I feel it. And that's pretty much... That's as deep as I, um, you know, got with it. And now it would be, you know, it would be different for me. Yeah, but I but think I, that's amazing acknowledgement because like, I feel like especially when it comes to our kids and or anyone we see that we love in that situation, our knee jerk response is often to try to get them to calm down. Oh, my goodness, yeah. you're feeling so stressed out before the big SAT exam. Well, let's do some breathing exercises and try to calm down. But like you said, acknowledgement. So first, don't try to get rid of it, right? Acknowledge it. And second, that's actually not the optimal response when we're going into perform. Use those jitters to your advantage by saying, I'm excited. You know, oh, I see that you're really nervous right now. Child, <laughs> Eddie, right? Right. right. Yeah. Sure. You must be getting really excited to do this and you can use those jitters to help you perform better. Yeah, you're excited. And this is what you love to do. You actually love to do this. So let's have fun doing it because you're excited because you want to do it. You actually want to do it. Apparently, more of you wants to do it than not. Otherwise, you wouldn't be. Yeah, absolutely. And then just, I think, remembering how you feel afterwards. So tell us how you would feel going in really nervous and then having like a good set. What would the feeling be post post-performance uh, just yeah just tremendous uh tremendous relief and and happiness and and you know feeling feeling good about it 
it's a funny thing about performing or about doing, and I'm sure it's with all everything that you do. You don't feel, it doesn't feel like an effort when you're doing it. And that's how you know that you're in it, right? You're not, you're, your mind is not wandering. You're not someplace else. You're hundred percent in it. So it feels like just a second happened and you just, you don't really even know what happened. And that's, you know, when you really, when you give yourself the message that it's okay to be, and it's okay to even use it, chances are you'll have more of that response and it'll be a lot less, uh, much less effort to it and much more joy to it. So when you say I'm excited, yeah, you're joyous. This is what you, you know, when it comes to performance, you know, and when you're speaking in front of somebody, this is the thing that causes people so much stress. The biggest fear, right, is public speaking. You're speaking because you have something you want to tell people. So that's exciting. It's the worst when you have all of the stuff that you want to say and then you go up to speak and your throat is dry or you can see yourself shaking, you know, or if you're holding a paper and that paper is shaking and your own response then gives you another wave of frankly freaking out. Oh my goodness, look at me. Everyone can see me. Everyone can see my hand shaking. Everybody can see this. That level of self-consciousness that's there. Should we do a role play around that? Sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sure. Because that's hard. So, so, so let's say I have, you know, I have a speech to make, or I have, you know, if you want to do this with your kids, okay? So I'm a kid and I have a an oral report. I'm gonna speak tomorrow in, in class. And I'm going to speak about something and, you know, I'm talking to my, I'm talking to my mom about it. You know, here's what I'm going to speak about. So Rini will be, will be my mom and I'm talking to you about what I'm going to speak about. And, and you're going to give me some, you're going to give me some tools uh, that are going to, that are going to propel me forward. We're not, we're not going against the stress now. Right. We're going, we're going with the with, flow. We're going with the current. Right. When you're going into a performance, what we know, again, from the science is that you don't want to calm yourself down. You want to use that stress to your advantage. We're going with the current. Okay. Light, camera, and action. Look, I, Mom, I got to tell you something. What's going on? I'm not going tomorrow. I'm just not going to go. Oh. Because I don't want to go. To school? I don't want to go. Why? No, I'm not going. Because I've got that report due and i've been i've been preparing for it i've been doing oh, the speech you have to give the one good. you just practiced yes it's not good it's not good when i get in front of that group of people oh. those kids are so judgmental the teacher hates me okay and i can't deal with it i don't want to deal with it anymore well so listen i want to ask you something because you just did it in front of me right you just read the report in front of me and it was decent and you seemed fine so what happens when you actually stand up? Like what happens? Can you tell me? I just my heart beats fast. Everything speeds up. I go a million miles an hour in my head, and it's all things that I tell myself. I'm telling myself I'm not going to do well. I'm failing. I don't know this. I can't. I I'm going to fail. I'm going to have a failing grade, and people are going to judge me. They're not going to like me, you know. And and everybody's going to laugh. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna feel miserable. I hear that. And I don't want to do it. I, hear, I just don't want to do it anymore. You. I hear that it's super scary that you feel like everyone's staring at you, that they're gonna judge you. I hear what you're saying, and that's really hard. That sounds hard. But I'm gonna tell you something that you probably don't hear a lot. I don't even want you to try to calm down when you're in that situation. Is 
Does that sound strange? (laughs) It sounds strange, but it's also, uh, I'm not going to calm down. (laughs) Okay. Well, I don't even want you to try to, because what's happening inside your body can actually help you. I know that sounds totally out of whack. I can't even imagine it. I can't even imagine that racing heart, that, you know, that jitteriness that you're feeling. If you get, you've told me before those butterflies that you have in your stomach. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, those are the things that I have before I have to go out and speak. I get the same exact thing. And forever, for years and years, I was trying to calm myself down until I learned this little trick. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Okay. Before I have to speak, and even when I speak now, even though I do it all of the time, I get nervous still. And I have this thing, like I feel like this huge lump in my throat. I don't know if that's happened to you, but like as if the words aren't going to come out and it's my throat is really dry. Yes. So instead of trying to do breathing or calming down or, you know, I like to meditate, I don't do any of that stuff because it doesn't work. But what does work is when I say to myself, okay, I have a lump in my throat. I'm excited. I'm going to use my nervous energy to help me. And if I can't remember all those words, I just say, I'm excited. And I know that you don't feel excited right now, but can you believe every time I do that, it's not like everything is easy peasy, but it's so much easier. So I'm wondering if you can just try it. Can you try it? Yeah, it's going to sound like I'm excited. (laughs) <laughs> well, you can say it in your head. I'm excited. Yeah, I get that. No. I know. It might sound squeaky. Yeah. They might still be yeah. judging you, but you know. Oh, am I excited? Yes, I'm excited. Yeah. I excited. am excited. I am excited. I'm so excited. Just get on it. I never knew that the point is just we're talking about stress, and I think I like it. See, no. at a minimum, it'll make you laugh. But I really want you, I mean, this is a little known trick, you know, but I want you to try it. I think it might really work for you. I know that giving speeches isn't your thing. I'm not trying to make it your thing. You don't have to go into a career of it, but you're going to have to do it. So try this. Cut, cut. We got it. We got it. Print it. That's a wrap. Everybody go to lunch. Pick up your check on the way out. Wow. I am excited. And now I'm going to start thinking about that song, which is uh, like an anthem for that, right? I'm so excited. Um, not I am excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, and I want to tell so you something excited. else. You know what's interesting? So recently on the Motivated Child Summit that we ran, which is, you know, we run these events at Gozen where we speak to these experts. Well, I have a friend and her name is Diana Caramanico. That's how you say it. Diana Caramanico. It's a mouthful. But anyway, so I knew that she played basketball, right? I knew she played women's basketball at the University of Pennsylvania. But I asked her to be on the Motivated Child Summit. And then whenever I have someone on, I read their bio. Can I just read you her bio real quick? Like sure, just a little, sure. little piece of it. So yeah, Diana, yeah. it says, is quite simply the most dominant women's basketball player in Penn history. Arguably, she may have been the most dominant player in women's Ivy League history. Diana's 2,415 career points still stand as the Big Five and Ivy League records. She remains the only men's or women's player in Penn's illustrious basketball history to score more than 2,000 career points. And there's a whole other bunch of other stuff. She was the MVP three times. She holds numerous titles and records. 
for both leagues. Unbelievable. I actually thought I was reading the wrong bio because I thought, how could I not know this about my own friend? Anyway, my point is, and the reason I'm bringing her up is because I want to play a little clip from the interview that I did with her where she talks about getting kids to remove the fear of failure. Because what I heard in the role play we just did is that there is a fear of failing in front of other people. It's not the fear yes. of failing in front of your mom where you're practicing or the mirror where you're practicing, but it's in, in a staged environment where there's other people looking at you. So let's listen to what she says, how she helps kids when she's coaching basketball. So let's take, for example, two different kinds of kids, right? So we have the one kid with a lot of potential, but they have really perfectionistic tendencies and they're really afraid to fail. They're afraid to be seen as less than perfect. So it's so hard for them to try. Then we have the other one that maybe has less raw talent, right? And they're also afraid to be seen for, you know, their authentic, like sort of where they are and afraid of failing, where do we start with kids like that who don't even want to try? And I don't know if you've worked with kids like that at all. Sure. Another thing you can do if kids are feeling like they're, they're afraid to fail and you don't want them to, they're, they're, they're afraid to try stuff because it's mm. uncomfortable and they figure if it's uncomfortable, I'm not good at it. If I'm not good at it, I'm not going to do it or I'm going to look silly or whatever. Um, I make the goal the failure. So gets them to stop thinking of success as a completed successful action. Okay. So, you know, and this works in any sport. Um, and I had, you know, plenty of players who like wouldn't shoot with their left hand on the left side of the basket because they're right-handed and they would miss their left-handed layups and they'd shoot with their right hand. Um, but they were deathly afraid of failing and deathly afraid of looking stupid or kicking the ball where they didn't mean to or throwing the ball over the backboard or whatever it was. And so I called a timeout and I brought the team over and I said, listen, you're the fastest kid on our team. I said, but you have got to shoot with your left hand because they are on your right side and they're blocking your shot and you're not even shooting it because they're right there and you want to shoot with your right hand. I said, when you get, I said, your job, I said, do not come off this court until you have missed a layup with your left hand. I don't want you to make it. I want you to miss it. Don't think about like, don't let this game get to halftime without a missed layup. I need you to miss a layup with your left hand. And they're wow. like, like, miss it? Like, yeah, I don't make it. Don't you dare put that ball in the basket. I want a missed layup with your left hand. So what you're doing is you're taking the failure, the thing they're afraid of doing, and you're making it the goal so that they're generally driven to do what you're telling them to do as long as it doesn't make them uncomfortable. Like, you you're know, or they doesn't the fear away, right? From, from you're, yeah, you're like, it. And so one of two, and I do this with kids all the time with their left side, especially in basketball. And one of two things usually happens. I'd say 25% of the time, the kid gets in there and purposely misses when they could have easily made it. And after the fact, they're like, wow, like I could have totally made that layup, but like you made me miss it. I'm like, okay, good. Well, make, make the one, make the next time. I was like, I don't care if you make it. I just want you to shoot it with your left hand. Right. So, but then they realize, wait a second, I missed that on purpose. Like I could have, that was this, the fear of doing it was worse than doing it. Like I could have totally scored that. The other 75% of the time, they put the ball in the basket because they're not thinking about whether that goes in or not. Mm -hmm. And they just end up scoring it. And they're like, oh my gosh. I said, hey, I told you to miss it. Like you haven't completed the goal yet. Like, so then you've taken the, what they thought was success and you've made it the failure, mm -hmm. but that's a comfortable failure. 
And for so those of you listening, I mean, we're talking about sports, but you know, in my mind, it's like this application could be in anything, right? I mean, you could Would do you, yeah. yeah. That is so tremendous and such a, a great shift. And, and, and she's talking about it in terms of athletics, in terms of sports, but it can be done with thoughts. It can be done with feelings. It could be done with anything, right, that goes on inside of you. Take away the risk of failure and then out comes your authentic self. So, you know, so we talked about uh, an anxiety mindset. We talked about a growth mindset. We talked about stress. We talked about a different response to stress in your body. I am excited that 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 mantra tell yourself that your body's preparing for something i'm excited about it um the challenge we talked about failure and and diana just mentioned take the failure you know take it away try to fail you know go the other way with that energy um these are things that you can do not in the you can practice these things at all times you don't have to wait until the stage is the biggest to practice them. Practice them when the stakes are not so high. Practice them with your parents. Practice them with your kids. Practice them with your friends. There's ways to do it. We want to tell you about where you can contribute audio clips, the ones that you hear at the beginning and the end of the show, and where you can find more information on the research studies we were talking about and all the other stuff. So if you go to gozen.com, forward slash dear anxiety, you are, you will find it there. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, gozen.com. We send out tools, we send out information about the podcast, we send out printables, posters, information about our program. So all of that juicy stuff you can get at gozen.com. And then again, if you want to send us audio clips or you know dig deeper a little bit into the show notes, you can go to gozen.com forward slash dear anxiety. And do you want to say something about dropping us a review if you like what you hear? Oh, please subscribe. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. We're on iTunes and you can find us at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Dear Anxiety, B-I-T dot L-Y slash uh, forward slash dear anxiety on itunes thank you for your reviews thank you for for your comments thank you for listening send us questions send us issues that your kids have record it on a phone and you can upload it right there at gozen.com forward slash dear anxiety as Rini was saying so i'm gonna i'm gonna tell myself that uh, i'm excited i'm excited you, I'm excited, I'm excited to excited hear. Too. Okay. Well, I'm more. Excited I know. I'm very. I'm very much more. No, excited. I'm the most excited. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thank you for listening. Um, I'm Ed Krasnick, and and keep coming back. It works if you work it. And Rini, uh, take us out with. I think we have one more clip to play. Yeah. Let's hear the sage wisdom of another child talking about anxiety mindsets. Thank you. Anxiety and stress are only harmful if you keep all your feelings locked up and you don't let them show. And if you keep all your feelings locked up, then you might get rashes or you can get really sick. Everybody fails and it's not only one person and everybody gets nervous for calming down for a performance just know that even if you fail and something goes wrong, that that's okay and you can learn from that and grow from that. You should just know that 
if you try, you're still doing good. And the only way that you fail is by not trying. To stop negative thoughts before a performance, you can look at the things that you can succeed on instead of the things you can fail on. Also, you can picture yourself doing one successful thing at a time and then you can like do really good at it. Because I went to fight or flight school. See, a lot of people go to flight school. I went to fight or flight school. Ooh, and you're so it? good at it. You passed with flying colors. I did. I did. It trains you to actually be scared of everything. Um, but uh, so I wonder if okay, that's so, going to make the cut. Do you think that joke's going to make the cut? I hope so. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> fight or flight school is a good one. <laughs>